so we are continuing in our very short teaching series Jesus is Lord so what really just exploring unpacking with with different speakers really the implications of making Jesus Lord of our lives so we're just getting different takes Karen's going to be doing that next week some quotes from some well-known and some less well-known people never put off till tomorrow what may be done the day after tomorrow just as well that's Mark Twain only put off, put off until tomorrow what you are willing to die having left undone. That's Pablo Picasso. Karen Lamb says this, a year from now you may wish you had started today. The Bible teacher Joyce Mayer says this, many people spend their lives climbing the ladder of success only to get to the top of the ladder and find out their ladder's leaning against the wrong building. I don't think actually she was referring to the corporate ladder and occupational success. I believe she was making a more general point about success in life, goal of our existence, the priorities to which we give our time and to to which we give our attention. The putting off or procrastination, as per those quotes, of giving God the influence or priority in our lives until it's finally too late. I will try and lighten this up as we go along, but I'm just going to say some things. Within this, there are two truths. Firstly, it's within our mortal time span that we each get to choose our eternal destiny, acceptance of Jesus as Saviour and Lord now, means an eternal destiny with God in heaven. Rejection of Jesus as Saviour and Lord now means an eternal destiny, not only is separated from God, but the Bible says in hell. That's the first point. Secondly, it is within this mortal time span that those who have accepted Jesus as Saviour and Lord get to determine how they spend their eternal destiny in heaven, which is something entirely different. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians 3 beginning at verse 10. It says this, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using uh, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day of judgment will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what, we have, what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So uh, just to make clear, the day of judgment referred to is that which everyone's going to face before the throne of God. For believers, it's going to be to declare us righteous because we've received the Jesus offer of salvation. For those who have not accepted salvation through Jesus, they, they will stand before God and receive an entirely different kind of judgment, that which judges them guilty and which, as I said, they, they're cast into an eternity in hell with, without God because in in effect, the wrath of God remained upon them of their own choosing, not of God's choosing. 
We actually covered some of this last year in our Essential Doctrines series, if you remember it as well. So I think Jane covered that one. Anyway, nevertheless, for believers, there, there is still uh, an accounting for our time spent on earth uh, before God. And really, this is what those previous passages refer to, and that's where we're going this morning. People who have made Jesus the foundation of their life and then built upon it with things of eternal value and those who have built upon it with things that have no eternal kingdom merit. So there's two categories here. There's the gold, silver and costly stones as opposed to the wood, uh, straw and hay. Builds your life on the latter, the wood, straw and hay. They're metaphors really. And it's really uh, akin to making it into heaven I would say, by the skin of your teeth, but empty-handed. These are Jesus' words, by the way. Uh, Build your life on the former, that's gold, silver, and costly stones, and you have things of value with which to enter into heaven. But there's more. Uh, God will add to this if we've been faithful stewards of our lives on earth. Matthew 16:27 says this. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. So whether we like the idea of rewards or not, and I've had this conversation with some people and say, oh, I don't want a reward. You know, I just want to be with God in heaven. Well, whether we like it or not, the Bible is explicit. They are clear. That's God's idea. God likes the idea of rewards, and they are awaiting his faithful servants. That is just the way it is according to Scripture. Luke 19 uh, develops this with quite a familiar story of three servants who, who'd left a king. Uh, I'm not going to read it all, just going to uh, just glean a few bits from it or take a few bits from it. Uh, from a king who'd left them in charge of different levels of resource, in effect. And on his return, the king discovers that the first two servants have used their resource uh, to bring increase. And here's what it says, verse 16. The first one came and said, Sir, your miner has earned ten more. Miner was obviously a sum of money. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you've been trustworthy in a small manner, uh, matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your, your miner has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. The last steward had a skewed view of God, it's very apparent from reading this, and simply buried or did nothing, actually, with his resource. And uh, not only did God actually take that from him and give it to the first servant, but Jesus actually concluded the parable um, with these words. I say, these are Jesus' words. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given, as we've seen that. As for the one who has nothing... Even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Which sort of begs the question, um, is Jesus saying that the last servant, because of his ambivalent sitting on the fence stance, uh, was therefore an enemy? Uh, let me just develop this before I uh, give the opportunity to make your minds up. Matthew 12:30 says this, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Once more, Jesus' words. Matthew 7:21 says this, 
Not everyone who says to me, and I think, I think Jane quoted this um, last week. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who's, who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. As I say, these words are mine. But I really, I just leave them out there to draw our own conclusions. I don't want to impose that on us. But, but that said, for me, I actually find them very both challenging and, and um, chastening. Okay, whatever we make of them, they are both challenging and chastening words. And the seeming paradox of God, of a God who is love and yet is to be feared, is, is at play in this scripture. He's holy and set apart, and yet holy given for us. It's a sort of play on words, but, but there's two aspects of God that are, that are interplaying in here. Anyway, the outcomes illustrated in, in these Bible passages are determined by, the differ, uh, determined by the difference between making Jesus our saviour, which is one, one position, and that of making him saviour, and Lord, there's a distinction these passages and the reiteration of these passages that Jesus is saying is making. I guess it's the difference between, you know, we, we've some worship and uh, we, we say uh, to Jesus how much we love him, which is great and, and totally good. But actually doing it and living it out as well, that, that's the distinction. There's a difference between saying it and doing it. And I think that's, that's the point Jesus is making. Elsewhere in the Bible, he says, um, if you love me. You will obey my commands. If you love me, you will obey my commands. Now, as I say, this, this might sound like a heavy message, um, but it's actually um, the reverse. Uh, Jesus gives us the assurance he had come to give us life in all its fullness, but he also helpfully tells us how to achieve this. this. This is the end purpose of these things that Jesus is telling us. Unlike most modern technology, and we joke about this in our family, about everything having to be intuitive, we do have an instruction manual. We do have an instruction manual. So we haven't just got to try and work things out for ourselves. God is giving us pointers and direction in the, in the word of God. And here's the thing, really. God, give God the number one place in every aspect of our lives. Give him our all and everything he has will be ours. In everything you do, this is Proverbs 3, 6, put God first and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. It's a win-win situation. But I would say, sadly, for for some, maybe many, I I don't know, um, believers, uh, the jury is still out as to whether or not they want to take God up on his offer and to fully trust in him now, later, or ever. And, and I guess, as I say, this is why, why Jesus is making what sounds like a heavy point in these scriptures. Because he wants us to drive us to a conclusion that we make in our hearts and our heads that his is the only way and we make him Lord. Playing the procrastination game with our eternal destiny is inevitably a risky business and one we don't want to do. This is uh, nothing new. Uh, you may well be familiar with uh, Deuteronomy 28. Um, 
it's, it's quite a well-known uh, passage because it presented the it was God presenting the Israelites with the opportunity to make him Lord. That's really essentially what it was about. There's is a load of stuff in it, but the bottom line what is that God was saying to the Israelites, "I want you to make me Lord," and He outlined in Deuteronomy 28, the benefits of living life his way. And then he outlined the benefits, or no, the benefits, the downside, there are definitely no benefits, the downside not to living life God's way, not doing so. The blessings of making him Lord that, that he would bring them, or the curses that would overtake them if they lived lives outside of his sovereign rule. They could choose like we could choose. That's the thing. And if you've not checked them out, really, I encourage you to do so. They really make for interesting reason. And it actually beggars belief that having spelled out all these things, and it's quite a stark polar contrast, the pros and cons for trusting in God, trusting in him, and walking in all his ways, um, God still has to slip in some helpful advice about what the best option is. It's, you'd think it's a no-brainer, but he gives them a heavenly heads up, and he says choose life in other words go for the former not the latter and nevertheless i guess we can track this forward to our day and apply that to ourselves god created us mankind in his image to enjoy him and his creation but here's the thing we must do it god's way and implicit in that is not just paying lip service to god but our attitude, choices, and positioning, if I could put it like that, really have also have wider ramifications. We are ambassadors for Christ. That's what the Bible says. Uh, for those who don't yet know him, high responsibility, but amazing opportunity. Modeling what a life lived under the canopy of God's lordship looks like. That's what we're doing 24-7. We're living lives in front of people, modelling what it is to make Jesus Lord. If we don't make him Lord, then we won't be effective ambassadors. It's a this for that. And the Israelites procrastinated really in much the same way. God had chosen to be a nation modelling his life and ultimately pointing to Jesus. That was, that was their role and rationale basically to bring the other nations eventually to God. But they continually vacillated um, between giving God the lordship or returning to Egypt where a life of bondage to the world system seemed preferable to a life uh, lived under God's sovereign rule. This looked like uh, such things as they, they, they made a golden calf to worship in place of God. They called it God, but... No way was it God. Wanting a human king, not God, to rule over them. They embraced the gods and practices of other nations. And not being satisfied with God's laws, but added them with rules and regulations. Uh, and so on and so on. You can probably think of other things as well they did. A few years ago, uh, and I've shared it here, I had a, a dream... I do dream a lot. I don't, I don't have many prophetic significant dreams. I'm asking God for them, and I keep a dream book by my bed for those reasons. But I had a dream which I'll say I've, I've shared on a few occasions. But I think it's got currency and within the context of what we're talking about today, and you'll see why uh, shortly. 
I just want to share it. I've written it down just so I don't forget some of the details. In my dream, I saw a high rocky headland upon which stood a towering square fortress, gold and gleaming. It radiated light, but the source of its light was from above, pouring down into it and then radiating out, like a, a lighthouse, but not in the appearance of a lighthouse. And then I saw the sea below resembling a swirling dark, tar-like substance. Its its waves were dramatic and frightening. I saw people drowning in this dark, frightening ocean. I believe it represented both a life uh, lived without Jesus and also the increasing darkness uh, Isaiah 60 prophesied would one day cover the earth. I saw people on the rocky headland reaching down to save those drowning. Now, they didn't leave the safety and purity, those two things are essential, of what I understood to be a representation of the city on a hill, which is referred to in Matthew 5. But there were also people being rescued from these dangerous dark waters who I understood to be believers who had partnered with the world by living compromised lives. This didn't just refer to sin, but of not living wholly for God, of receiving him as saviour, in effect, but not as Lord. And uh, in that, I saw them coming out. Well, I use that expression by the skin of their teeth into eternity, but I saw them just coming out with nothing, uh, almost naked. They, they had compromised without, uh, with their lives and actually came, came with nothing. They had lost everything but their lives. God has called this church, Revival Church Biruki, to be a city on a hill, a beacon, a lighthouse, drawing people to safety, but refusing to negotiate on our wholeheartedness to God. Now, it's a high calling. It's a costly calling, but it is the only calling if we are to live fully for Jesus. It's only those who know that Jesus is the only way, truth and life, who will make him Lord. When we are content with other options to satisfy satisfy our souls, we will limit, um, I would say, his influence. We can create a kingdom culture in revival church for people, for you, for me, to plant our lives, to plant their lives into. But what we can't do is make people root and plant their lives in them. We can't do that. We can't enforce that. We can't make people root their lives in Jesus. We can't make people uh, root their lives in his church. Once more, this is a choice. We can't make people hungry to, to grow as a believer. Once more, we can create an environment and an opportunity. Each of us has the choice whether or not we make Jesus fully Lord of our lives. And this is uh, speaking to myself as much as any of us in this room. As the Apostle Paul discovered, when you've encountered the risen Lord Jesus, it's very difficult to return to your old life. He um, becomes your life, becomes your entire life. 32 years ago... um, I think it's 33 years this year. I don't. I had an encounter, May the 14th, 1988. Anyway, you can do the mathematics. I had such an encounter with God that it completely ruined me for anything other than Jesus. Uh, yes, I could have put my commitment to Jesus on hold by pursuing my career. I was a cartoonist and illustrator working in London, working on some really exciting, lucrative work with advertising, design, all that sort of stuff. 
Um, it was very fulfilling, as I say, very lucrative. Uh, I could have put that on hold. I could have put my commitment to Jesus on hold while my kids grew up and left home. I could have done that. There would have been plenty of time to focus on, on, on Jesus in the coming years. I could have done that, but I didn't because of that encounter. To do so, I would say, would have been tantamount to saying that I didn't need God's input in those areas of my life right then. Thank you very much. So really, in, a, in, a, in essence, I didn't want his lordship in my life. What I discovered is that God knew so very much better than I how to maximize my life and giving him the number one place in every area of my life. I saw upgrade after upgrade within family, within the work, and some of you know some of the things I'm doing in in, in publishing as well. Things I could not have imagined that God has opened up the door. But it's not the reason you do it, to make him Lord for your own benefit. That's a byproduct. So some thoughts about the lordship of Jesus, of making him Lord of all. It will require the giving of our lives, but it will be life-giving. These are the, the pros and the cons, the returns we get. It will be costly, but it will be exceedingly rewarding. It will take us to the end of ourselves, but it will take us deeper into God. It will make us different from others, but it will make us more like Jesus. It will necessitate being servants, but it will establish us as sons. Our dreams will die, but his dreams are going to be birthed in us. We will lose the world, but actually we will gain eternity. This feels all very serious and heavy, but my heart is that, or I believe God's heart is that in getting this, it actually just directs us to the fullness of the life that God has for us. It is a serious, grave thing, but when we get the gravity of it, actually it will push us into the fullness of his life. And I, and I think that's okay sometimes. So in Luke 9, 57... It says this, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another, follow me. But he replied, Lord, let me uh, go and bury your father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the kingdom, for service in the kingdom of God. Just to say, I don't believe the story about the man burying was about the imminent burial of the man's father, but really essentially a putting on hold the things of God uh, to someday, sometime, someday soon. One more quote in bringing this to a close. Someone called Janet Daly says this someday is not a day of the week if we've if i've not made jesus lord of my life in the fullest sense when will i when i'm married when my job is more settled when i've got my degree when i've got more time when i've paid my off my mortgage when my kids have grown up when i'm retired when 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 The implications really this morning are going to be different for every one of us. 
But it's, it's the best, most honorable thing we can do, really, given the totality of our lives, the one who's given us the totality of his life, life as well.